those of you here in the auditorium staying, we're taking our Bibles, we're headed to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 as we get started. This week's theme was creatures. And we had lots of them here, okay, with, uh, with the adults, kids, and the people. And so we had a great week in that regard, but we talked about animals. Pastor Tony's gospel message wrapped around talking about animals and making uh, analogies from them. And so I thought this morning, let's just test our brains when it comes to animals. What is a real or a photoshopped picture? This one, what do you think? Photoshopped or real? Oh, yeah, it's photoshopped. Here we go. Real or photoshopped? Fake or real? Let's go fake. Fake or real? Real. real? It is real. Okay, that's one. How about this one? An owl with fur. Real or fake? Real. No, it's fake. Okay. Here's one. This multicolored bird that looks like the rainbow. Real? Fake. It's real. Okay. This one. Real or fake? That one is real, okay? Uh, here's one for you. A peacock that's two different colors. Real or fake? You fake? It's real. It's an albino. So far you're striking out pretty good here. <laughs> yeah. This, one, this one's an albino peacock, they call it. Okay? Real or fake? In our dreams, right there. Yeah, that one's fake. How about this one? An armadillo, armadillo crab. Real or fake? fake? That one is fake. Okay, that's fake. How about this one? <laughs> Any question on this one? No. Okay, that one's fake. That one's fake. How about this one? They call it the sardine grasshopper. You sure about that? So remember, you're... you're, you're are you going to be surprised if I put real? Yes. Okay, I won't. I'll, I'll put fake up there. Okay, this one, real or fake? That one is real. How about this one, real or fake? Really? Real? It is real. That one's real. Okay, this one? That's real. That's real. And real, real, stay away from it. Okay, what about this one? That one is fake. Okay, that one's fake. How about this one? Oh, you're silent. Okay, you're not sure about this one. Or is it you're getting hungry seeing all these pictures? <laughs> you're hungry now. That one's real. Okay. Real or fake? That one's fake. This see-through bug. That is real, okay? See-through frog. That is real, yeah, that's real, okay? Skin disease? <laughs> what do you think? Is it real? It is real, yeah, that one is. Okay, real or fake? That one's real. This one, real or fake? That one's real as well. 
Okay, we're talking about real stuff in John chapter 6. And John chapter 6 is setting the scene. Jesus is trying to reveal himself to the people. He's not trying to fake it. He's trying to really expose himself to the people. There are times he is going to speak in parables, and that is because certain parts of the audience, they haven't been paying attention, and so he's going to give them more clandestine teaching just because they're hard-hearted. But those who are listening are getting the full message. So what he's doing in John chapter 6 is he's teaching along, and I just locked up, Kevin, if you can help me out. Um, in John chapter 6, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to have one of his longest sermons that he's going to be writing. Now in chapter 20, and this sets the scene, in chapter 20, if you go to verse 30 and 31, it seems like he's closing out the book, and then he adds a little bit, and he makes this comment which explains a lot of the gospel of John. So just if we flip over there towards the end of the book, then we'll be in 6. At the end of the chapter, he says, many other signs or miracles truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. We understand that. In the book of John, he writes of seven different miracles. But we all know there was many more. But he writes of seven, and then he adds in the book of John, this is the unique part, he adds the sermon that Jesus did with the miracle more than any other gospel. And so he gives the message and the miracle together. And then he says in John chapter 20, verse 31, why he wrote and selected these miracles. But these are written that what? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So John, more than any other gospel, is targeting making sure to bring people to faith. That's why many of you when, you, when you talk to baby believers, when you're sharing the gospel, what book do you often tell them to start with? The gospel of John. And then when you're done with it, read it again. Because it's, it's very clear in that one. And so all the gospel of John is about is to magnify the greatness of Christ, especially the salvation aspect, which ties to, if he, to be the Savior, he's divine. He's deity. And so more than any other gospel, we're going to have this explanation that Jesus is God by his words and by his deeds. And so in the miracles that they have, as I said, they record the miracle and the message. John 6 is one that's extremely interesting and one of his longest messages that are recorded besides the Sermon on the Mount. In John 6, if you're just looking at it now, and if you have paragraph headings, what's the miracle that stands out in John 6? The feeding of the thousands, okay? And then from there, what he does is he develops a message on, I am the bread of life, the bread of life. That's what's going to come out of this story. To understand the setting, this is right in the middle of his very, very busy time. This is his VBS week, okay, where it's extremely busy. He's doing a preaching tour. He's going through Galilee region. John the Baptist has already been arrested and recently killed. So Jesus is up in this region to try to get away from the crowds, but he doesn't get away from the crowds because it's what season? I think it's in 6162. Does it mention what season of the year it is? Three, four, something in there? Does it give you an indication? It's Passover season. And so because it's Passover season, you have a lot of people traveling. And they are really interested in Jesus for what reason? It's mentioned in those first couple of verses. They are really curious about Jesus, the crowds are. What's drawing them? 
The miracles, okay. So it's their religious holiday. Put the sense in here. It's the religious holiday, and you hear about a miracle worker. They kind of go together, don't they? Okay, let's, let's do that focus. And so they come to Jesus because of his miracles, and they're crowding there. And so Jesus, when he can't get away from the crowd, the crowd comes to him, and remember, now he is what we will call out in the rural area to get a break, to do his grieving over John's death, get away with his disciples and explain John's death, and the crowd comes. And as it gets later in the day, the people are, they're hungry. And so he says, why don't you order from McDonald's? Yeah. What, what does he tell the disciples to do? Remember the whole story? What does, he, what does he say, hey, just I'll take care of it right away, or does he put the burden on them? He starts with the burden on them. Yeah, I say, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. How much, and they say, we have 200 penny worth, and, you know, can't feed this many. And so Jesus is just taking them step by step. So after he feeds the thousands, then he's going to preach a message, not in the same day. Okay, John 6 isn't in the same day or in the same place. I don't know why it does this, but it's a, it starts in one day, and then the next day he gives the message, and it's not all, all in the rural area. He's transitioning. Do any of you remember where he ends up, uh, the, the end of the message takes place? It's not out in the countryside anymore. Anybody remember where? It's towards the end of the chapter. It says they are now in a synagogue. So it's gone from uh, preaching outdoors and the crowds just transitioned with all these people who have followed that he ends up preaching to them near in a synagogue to the leaders to whatever and yet it presents it as a flowing message. And so the account is real simple, okay? Here's an interesting fact. It is the only miracle except for one other miracle, the only one recorded in all four Gospels. Do you know what other miracle is recorded in all four Gospels? The most important miracle, the resurrection. The resurrection is in all four. Otherwise, this is the only one that's mentioned in all four, which gives it a significant event in the, in the life of Jesus Christ. It says in the passage that there's 5,000, and when it says men, it's using the term for males, not humankind, not people, but he uses men, males, 5,000 males, which that gives most scholars to conclude if there's about 5,000 males, if they had family with them, and we know that there was the little boy even that was there with the loaves, if they had family, we, we're talking he's feeding like 20,000 people, just as a conservative estimate, okay, if there was a husband and a wife and a couple kids. And so you have 20,000. Now here's where the rub is. If you do Bible study and you use for your source internet, <laughs> you could get a wide variety of views. Here is the popular view right now, okay, the most popular view, that this wasn't a physical miracle, this was a spiritual miracle, that it, he really didn't feed 20,000 people, but here's what the miracle really was. He got the people to be satisfied with a small amount, each one of them. And so that's the explanation is he didn't feed them all. He just made, you know, the real miracle is making people content with very little. Or they say this, the real miracle is getting people to share with others. And so it really wasn't a physical miracle of feeding 20,000 people. It was just convincing hearts. And again, you're, there, it's coming from a viewpoint of basically decrying the greatness of Jesus. 
from a physical point of view. And it's just saying he was a very influential teacher or persuader or uh, what do you call those speakers that energize people? Um, motivational speaker. Yeah, and they say he wasn't a miracle worker. He was just a good speaker. How do you respond as a Bible believer? How do you respond and say, hey, this in this text indicates to me this was a clearly a physical miracle? As you look at the text, just, we, let's just read, read through part of it. You take note in your mind that says, no, 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 no. This wasn't a persuasiveness that made people just content. There was a real miracle. And we, we'll start with the beginning of the chapter and just read through if I can get my papers, my pages apart. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of Tiberias. A great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did, um, on, that were on the diseased. He went up into a mountain. There he sat with the disciples and the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was nearby or nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw the company, he said to Philip, where are you going to buy the bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. They talk about the 200 penny worth. They talk about the boy in verse 9. And Jesus says in verse 10, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise the fishes as much as they would, they were filled. He said to the disciples, when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftovers that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above that which they had eaten. Then those men that had seen the miracle that Jesus did said, this is a truth that a prophet that should come into the world. And when he perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain. Stop right there. What in those verses indicated it was a real physical feeding of thousands? Okay, what did you say? They had leftovers. What did you say? They wouldn't want to make him king if he hadn't done something. Really, really, really phenomenal. Anything else that strikes you? What's that? They were filled full, which is a little detail that is very important. Any other things strike you? Okay, that they were there? I, I, I'm, yeah, lots of eyewitnesses that could have decried, could have denied it. Absolutely, good point. Did you notice that they give a lot of details in this story? He gives a number. What did they tell you about the about the fish and loaves? Did they give you specific details? They gave the exact number. Do they give you the type of bread it is? Yeah, they give you all, the, the author of this story is giving us really particular details. When people exaggerate, what, what about details? The, yeah, the details are kind of like there was a lot, there was stuff. Okay, so you look at it and said, every, everything that you mentioned indicates to you and me that just common sense reading, this was... A physical miracle. That it was something. In fact, they even use the term. When they talk about making him king, somebody mentioned making king. They call him what else? Right before they want to make him king, they say that what's in the land here? Um, I don't remember the verse. I remember it's in the page. Down in verse 14. A prophet. 
So they're making, they're, they're considering this is something phenomenal, and they talk about it being a miracle, the people that were there, which you guys attested to with the idea of the thousands. And so you have leftovers, you have all of this, and so it just, it just smacks very clearly. This is a physical miracle. He's more than a motivational speaker. He is divine to be able to multiply food without our modern technology. He just fed all these people. And so this is something very supernatural. Now, Jesus knows that the people are caught up. You know what is interesting? The other Gospels, and I don't think John does it, but Matthew and Mark do another story right before this. This is just, uh, I'm, I'm going to get off target here for a second. The other story that Matthew and Mark stick right before the miracle of the 5,000 is a story about King Herod. Okay? We already alluded to this a little bit. King Herod is all concerned about who? Himself. How do you know that? Do you remember what he's giving in the palace? He's giving a party. And during the party, his stepdaughter does her dance. And what is he persuaded to do? Give, give whatever she wants. And she says, I want John the Baptist's head. Herod doesn't want to do it. But Herod is all about satisfying self and keeping peace. While the people, he's basically ignoring the needs of the people. He's, he's a typical corrupt, uh, selfish politician of that day. They give you that story in the other Gospels right before they tell about Jesus. And Jesus, who is his focus on? The people. He's healing them. He feeds them. And what do they want to do as a result? They want to make him the king. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And so it just, it just flows how the writers put it together, making a contrast there about what was happening in the, in the general politics of the day and what was happening in Jesus' ministry. Anyway, Jesus knows they want to make him king because he knows the hearts of all people. So in the passage, it says in John chapter 6, it says, what does he do? He departs into the mountain himself, verse 15, and where did his disciples go? Remember, what did the disciples do? They went down into the sea. Do you remember why, his, why he separates from the disciples? Do you remember from the other gospels what is stated? Why did the disciples go down to the boat and start crossing the water? Anybody remember? The, this is a small little detail mentioned in the other gospels. What motivated them to leave and go? What's that? No, but you're close. Okay, it says in the other Gospels, Jesus constrained them. He forced them to get out of there. Why? Why did he say, disciples, you got to leave? When he says he perceived that they would come and make him king, he constrained his disciples to leave. What's that? Yeah, well, how would his disciples have acted? Did his disciples get on bandwagons? Were they caught up in moments? Sure. Was this the right time for him to become king? 
no, no. So in the time, in God's timetable, and so it's really interesting when you think this through. Jesus gets his disciples out of this situation where they would have easily been caught up in the, in the clamor. And he's, this is, and, and um, I didn't state it clear enough. This is the time period, in the busy time period, he is now entering into his last few months of training his disciples, preparing them for his departure. So to prepare them, he's got to teach them about faith. He's got he's to really deal with them. Okay, the crowds, were, the crowds are really caught up. And why are the crowds all excited? What has tickled their fancy? That they want to make him king. Why? The miracles. The miracles. Who benefits from the miracles? Who benefits from getting fed? Oh, this is exciting times because Jesus will... He's going he's gonna to do all the physical things we want. And so Jesus, he's, he's like, get, the disciples get out of here. He gets away from the crowd. He is praying. And then the story unfolds, okay, that the disciples, do you remember what happens when they're going across the sea? This one doesn't give us all the details. Matthew and Mark does. Do you remember what happens to the disciples? The, a storm, Okay. This is a storm, and when we start thinking about it, okay, there's a little bit of details. Jesus is away. He's on the mountain praying. The disciples are caught up in the storm. And if you flip to these passages, just flip to a couple of these, and tell me how bad is the storm. According to Matthew 14, some of you go to Mark 6, some of you go to Matthew 14, and there's certain words that are given that are very, very important in this text, and that it all is, is details that is really, really, really helpful in understanding the message he's going to give in a few moments. So we're, some of you are headed to Mark, some of us are headed to Matthew 14, and in Matthew 14, verse 24, okay, what, how do you know that it was a difficult time? What words are used? Anybody have Matthew 24, 14? Or, I'm sorry, 14, 24? They're being tossed, okay? Any other words in that phrase? The wind was contrary, is that what it says? The wind is contrary, the boat is being tossed. Time out. Okay, let's get Mark 6. Um, yeah, Mark 6, what do you have? Somebody? What would you say? Okay, okay. They're being tossed about. The men are toiling and rowing. What does that tell you in context? What does that tell you? Who are these guys in the boat? What, the majority of them, what are they? Are they used to this? Do they know how to handle a boat? Okay, read a little bit further. I don't think John does it. Anybody just look down. How long do they toil? What's that? The fourth watch. They, are, they leave in the evening. The fourth watch takes you about what time of the night? Give me a rough estimate. Okay, it's going to be pre-dawn. Okay, so how long have they been rowing? If they got out there, say, 8 o'clock, and they're going until 4 o'clock. Okay, they're, so they've been out there. So let's just guess. They've been out there eight hours, and, and they're not moving. In fact, do any of you remember, Mark is the only one that does this. When Jesus comes walking on the water, Mark puts a little phrase in. Jesus walked as if he would pass them by. What does that tell you about their boat? 
What does that tell you about them moving? They're going the wrong way. Okay. So you've got experienced fishermen who are in this storm. They aren't getting very far. And then and in this, is this you know, horrendous storm that's got them rowing for eight hours. Now, let's just pause. What would you feel like if you were in the car in a storm for eight hours, traveling through a vicious snowstorm, and your kids say, are we there yet? <laughs> what would you want to do with the kids? Throw them out. Throw them out? Okay. Throw them out? Okay. So what do you think their, we don't know this, but what do you think their attitude is towards one another about this time? Are they getting ticked? Are they getting upset? Probably, tired? Good, hey, listen, good thing none of us get upset when we're tired. Okay. So these guys are wore out, and I can imagine, Matthew is a tax collector. He's not a boat guy. I can imagine him saying, you guys are the pros. What are you doing here? And then the story continues when they see Jesus walking on the water. Anybody remember what they think? Yeah, they think it's a ghost. They think it's a spirit, okay? And what is their immediate response? They're terrified. Remember, remember culture of that day that they often said, what would you see Jewish people, what would you see right before you die? Do you, are you familiar with this? Jewish people taught you would see a spirit coming to escort you away. So you're in a boat, you're in this storm, and you see this spirit, you think it's a spirit. I mean, you wouldn't think it's, you wouldn't think it's a man initially, they thought it was a spirit. The passage says they thought it was a spirit. What would you assume? We're dying. We're, we're dead men. The spirit is coming. And what would be your reaction? Well, Jesus says to them, this is the Lord, do not be afraid. <laughs> right? Right? Out of the mouth of the Lord, and you're going, Really? So they're, they're in this situation. They think they're going to die. There is another detail that is so critical to the story. I've got to get to the right reference here. Okay. Um, the, it states it in Mark 6, verse 52. Any of you still in Mark? There is, there's a statement in that verse that helps to, uh, helps to explain why they are in such a panic. They forgot. They remembered no more. The miracle of the loaves. Can you imagine they forgot what happened 12 hours earlier? Can you imagine people doing that? That people forgot how Jesus took care of a crisis situation 12 hours earlier. They totally forgot it because they were in, in the middle of a new crisis. How silly of the disciples to forget. I, I'm being very facetious. Because do we ever do that? Do we, ever, do we have short-term memory losses when it comes to spiritual trust? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what happened now? You know the story. How does Jesus get to them? We've already alluded to it. It's not a motorboat, okay? It's not a speedboat, okay? How does Jesus get to them? He walks in the water, and it's, he's gonna, I just think Mark is, is so funny. As if he would pass by, 
And then, then what happens? It's not recorded in John, but it gives us detail. What happens? The conversation that happens between Jesus and the people in the boat. Peter. Okay, Peter's the key character. What does he do? He wants to walk on water, but before he does, before he gets out, he does something else. You said it. No, no, he, he does something else. Right, he doesn't get out of the boat right away. He asks Jesus, which is interesting, Lord, if you would allow, let me come to you. Okay? He asks permission to get out of the boat. And then Peter gets out of the boat. I'm, st- I'm stupid. I, I know I'm just stupid. I try to visualize how is he getting out of the boat when it's doing this? You know, how clumsy was he? How did this work? Did he fall on solid water? I mean, the waves are going every which way. Remember, he gets out and the waves are, I mean, how did they walk as they were going on the water? I'm just extremely curious how this worked. Okay, and so he gets out and you all know what happens. What what happens to Peter? He's doing well until what? He looks at everything and then suddenly he's going down and what is he, he, the phrase, help me, save me. Okay, and Jesus says, somebody mentioned it, oh ye of little faith. Okay, I understand the Lord's rebuke. I wouldn't have got out of the boat. I, 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 this is me personally, y'all. We, we often preach the message, oh, Peter, how could you have possibly doubted? I'm coming from this perspective. How could you have enough faith to get out of the boat? I mean, who else got out of the boat? Who else asked? No one. I, I don't have any doubt that maybe they wanted to throw Peter out. You know, they were frustrated. My question to you is, well, we don't know totally why. Why do you think Peter wanted to get out? We can be silly about this. Why would Peter, why would Peter want to get out of the boat? <laughs> what did you say? It wasn't, it wasn't working staying in the boat. And besides, do you think he might have been fed up with the others? Yeah. You know, at this point, I'd rather be with you than with these guys. These guys, I'm ready to throw them out of the boat. Yeah. What else? Just in a serious note, why do you think? Mm-hmm. No, no. In the, uh, it's a conditional phrase. The if is a since. In the original language, it's like, if you be the son of God. Uh, it should be, it, it, the most accurate literal translation is since you be. Okay? And several times in our English, it happens that way. So the if is a since. And that will give you a different sense of, of that understanding. But I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you for bringing that up. It's not, I doubt you. But it's rather, because he's already made the profession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he's going to repeat it at the end of this conversation, if you remember at the end. Yeah, yeah. So he's got facts up here, but where's the struggle? Which, which is with, with every one of us. It's here converting to here. So I know you're the Lord... But, okay, y'all, you are the Lord, 
would you allow me to come out and do this thing? And so they get out. But is there, is there any possibilities here that you can think of why he would want to do this? Do you think he's showing off? That he's better than the others? Okay. <laughs> okay, I don't know if that's how, how much peace is out there. We know that afterward, yeah, with himself, he's fine. The Lord is fine, which I think that what you're getting at is, is probably the answer. They're, not, they're in the middle of trouble, but Jesus, he's in no trouble. He's in no trouble. How he's doing the waves, I don't know. But he's in no trouble. So where's the safer place to be? Right? I mean, it's just the safer place is go to be with Jesus. It's not the water, and it's not the, you know, whatever there be. It's Jesus. Get close to Jesus. Okay, so there's, there's a lot that can be said about it. So Peter wants to get out there, and Peter goes out. Jesus rebukes him for all ye of little faith because he got caught up. He was doing so good, and then he got caught up. Which, by the way, do you see any parallels in your own life that you do good, and then you get caught up and start sinking? And then you have to do what? Get back up and do some more, and then sink a little bit. Yeah, and so Peter's in a growing process. And what happens here is he gets... Now, there's, there's two more miracles that take place in this story, in this nighttime story. Do you remember what the two miracles are? When Peter gets into the boat, what happens? Two things happen. Somebody starts saying it. The storm stops immediately. Okay, now we've got calm. we got, you know... And, and we all know how storms work. It usually takes, you know, a while for things to come. What's the other miracle? It says, and immediately they were on the other shore. So there was a speedboat incident. Somehow, some way, it got calm, and they got what they couldn't do for eight hours. Jesus did. Boom. And so we have those two miracles. Now, you're the disciples. Here's, here's what you want to remember, okay, out of this story. You want to remember the miracles because of what's going to happen. Remember, the, he, makes a, he makes a point. They forgot the loaves. That's an important... Re- what he's trying to give you is a red light saying they shouldn't have forgotten. They shouldn't have forgotten. And what's going to happen in the next few hours after this is did they remember the miracle on the water. And they do by their reaction in John chapter 6, which we'll see as we go through. But it's an interesting phrase how they put it all together. We talked about the, all these different things that happen, and you've already mentioned. Uh, here's my, if you were to teach a lesson, uh, you're doing a Bible study, or you're teaching in class in junior church or Sunday school, what would you tell the kids or what would you tell the people, here's what we glean out of the disciples' experience in the boat. What would, be, what would be any singular... There's, there's a whole bunch of lessons. But what would be one that you would say, I want to I emphasize to those people that are listening to me? Anybody have a lesson? Go ahead. I'd say anytime you have any answered prayer, lock that in your mind for the next... Hour. Okay, okay. Whether you could hear up there. Anytime we have an answer to prayer... Or a blessing. Lock it into our mind to remember for the next, whatever's coming next. Good. Anything else? If you were to fill this phrase in, Jesus is, how would you fill that in based on the story? Jesus is what? 
He's an answer to prayers. Anything else? He's faithful. Oh, excellent. Anything else about Jesus? Okay, he can calm our storms. Okay. Anything else? He's the Lord. Okay. Is he powerful? Okay, that's part of the story. They're trying to relay. Remember, they're trying to relay who Jesus is. Okay. Um, anything else stands out? I'm sorry. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Oh, that's a clear one out of this one. Okay, he's faithful. With what you did, okay, uh, Jesus says, fear not. And again, I'm not trying to decry what the Lord says, but it's like, don't be afraid in the middle of this storm. That's my flesh. But in reality, we're not to panic in the middle of trials because Christ hasn't forsaken us. He's powerful. You've already mentioned several of these other things that, um, here's one, no matter what our skill set or experience, God may put us in situations we can't get out of. Does that ever happen to you? Despite your knowledge and your experience, you're stuck. And it's got to be the Lord. Okay, so keeping your eyes on the Lord, we're not to panic when things, oh, by the way, does it get worse for these guys as the eight hours go by? Yeah, yeah, so there's lots of lessons. Now, here's what happens, okay? They forgot the daytime miracle, but they're going to remember the nighttime miracle by the end of John chapter 6. So let's jump back into John chapter 6, and let's pick up what's happened. Jesus has, uh, has left that area. The crowds wake up in the morning, and guess what? They saw the disciples leave in the boats, but they knew that... Jesus hadn't left, okay? So we pick up some of the story back in John chapter 6, and it says that, um, verse 22, the day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there save the one wherein the disciples had entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, and they give you details. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was what? Jesus isn't there. Neither his disciples. Where did he go? We were waiting down here at the bottom of the mountain and he's gone. And so they decide to follow in boats after Jesus to go across to catch up with him to find out where he's at. And they go down the shore a little bit and uh, they find Jesus and Jesus starts a dialogue with them. This is now John chapter 6 which is he's done the miracle of the loaves He's, the, the disciples had private miracles take place. And so this next whole portion is hour long. You thought I preached long. This is hours long. This is walking along. I, I don't know all the details, uh, how, it, how it all worked. But Jesus gives them this really profound message. It, it's a loaded thing. It's a loaded message. Um, there is so much truth. And so what, what happens is, let's jump to the end of, the st- of this chapter. At the end of the message, what happens is, we're down in verse, verse uh, 60. Many therefore of the disciples, and I want you to remember something. This is critical in your understanding of the gospel of John. John uses disciples in a very broad sense. The other gospel writers use disciples like referring to the 12 or the 120 or the 70 sent out. John used it basically in a very broad sense of anybody who was following Jesus. So his is a very broad use of the... It's, if I can make the analogy, when we say Christian, 
do we mean, for the most part, of a limited group of born-again believers? Is that what we mean when we say Christian? For the most part, we do that. Does Christian in outside of, outside of, say, our use, can Christian be in a very broad sense? Can include anybody, any religion, any denomination that says Jesus? Okay. John is using disciple more broadly like this. Not the way you and I would use disciples. Okay, so in John's writing when he says the disciples, he's not talking about the 12. He's not talking the 70. He's talking more of the big crowds that came out because of the miracles. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, and this is interesting, okay, my King James reads, this is a hard saying. Does anybody have a different translation for that phrase? Verse 60. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Okay. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples were murmuring at what he had said, he said, does this offend you? Does this cause you a problem? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to heaven? It is the spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spiritual. They are life. But there are some of you that you don't believe. For Jesus knew that from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him even. And he said, therefore, said I unto you, no man can come unto me except the Father uh, except it were given unto him by the Father. And from that time, many of his followers did what? Verse 66. Isn't this interesting? 666 talks about many people doing what? Turning away, deserting Jesus Christ. And so they, they turned away and they would walk no more with him. Here, here's the point. Now watch the next paragraph. Then Jesus said to the twelve, and remember, they, they were in the boat, will you also go away? And Simon Peter, what did Jesus say to him just hours before? O ye of little faith. Okay. Then Simon Peter said, Lord, who, where do we go? Who else, basically, who else has the words of eternal life? We believe and are certain, we are sure that you are, what's your Bible read? Okay, you're Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay. So now they have been remembering what happened during the night. It was a more convincing situation and made impact and they're not forgetting it. And the reason that this is important is what are most everybody else doing? What about all the people that that have been there. They're leaving. They're leaving. And remember, Jesus was concerned the disciples would get caught up with the crowd. Now, this is an interesting point. Less than 24 hours before this, what did this big crowd want to do? Make him king. And now what are they doing? Are crowds fickle? Yes, no? Okay. So, what's that? Yeah, and a mob, oh, that's right. That's a mob mentality that they were with it. So they're responding, and this is, this, so we're at the end of the story, but we want to get into the middle, which we'll start today and do next week. So many of the disciples, they're deserting him. They're gone. This is it. This is, the, this is now, remember, the leaders of Israel have already condemned him. They're trying to kill him. But they were still fearful of great crowds. Now the crowds are going to diminish, 
And there's still going to be a, there's still going to be some crowds that will follow him. But this is a turning point in these last few months that he is not as popular publicly. And now they're going to start listening to their leaders, so that when we come to the day where there's the there's the question Barabbas or Jesus, what do the bulk of the crowd say? Barabbas. Okay, this is setting this all up. And so it's, it's a, and, and by the way, Jesus created this on purpose. Jesus created this by this message. He, this message was a hard saying, and it basically, um, it weeded people out. And it's like, okay, you got to decide. So this message is a profound message that's just an impacting message that is important. So my question that we want to do, here's where we want to go with the rest of this, is why did so many people desert Jesus? And does it happen for the same reasons today? And the reason I'm saying it is, sometimes, this is me, maybe not you, but I don't understand why people don't believe. This is me. We share the Word of God, we talk to people, and it's like, why don't you flock to Jesus? It makes so much sense to flock to Jesus. Yes, no? Okay. Um, you know, I, I do this. Maybe, maybe you have the same thought. How can they go through life and troubles and difficulties without Jesus? How do they do it? And so it makes no sense to me why they don't come to Jesus. So we're in a text that is going to help us to understand what Jesus is preaching, why many people do not want to be following Christ and do not put their faith. And it gives us a little bit of a sense, but it also gives us a sense into the truth. So I'm going to suggest this first of all. They put greater stock in their physical wants than in their belief in Jesus Christ. In other words, why did they follow Jesus? What was drawing them to Jesus? Why did they first come the day before? The miracles. It's stated in the text. They came because of the miracles. And they stayed and they, wanted, they followed him across the, the sea there because they were still enthusiastic about a miracle. And so Jesus is going to talk about this idea and he says in verse chapter 6, if you look at verse 26, and I, I'm going to jump all over the sermon. He even makes a comment. He says, the only reason you're seeking after me is because I fed you. I gave you food. He knows their heart. He knows that people follow, and so he makes the comment. Right after that, verse 26 and 27, he says, Stop laboring. Now, my King James reads, labor not. But, uh, but clearly in the original, stop laboring, which implies this is what they were working for. Stop it. Stop laboring for the meat which perishes, but, but what you should be focusing on is the meat of eternal life. And so these people were all about, what do we get out of this? What do we get out of this? You know, what's there? And that, that's not to say it's wrong to meet physical needs. Jesus isn't decrying that. Did Jesus meet their physical needs already? Did he, will he continue to meet people's physical needs? Yeah, yeah, he does. So that's not the point, okay? But the point is, they made their goal, their purpose for following Jesus was basically, what do we get out of it? That was their goal. That was their motivation for following Christ. And he tells them not to do that anymore. And, by, and, and my point here is, did this happen in the Old Testament? Did the Jews ever follow God as long as everything was peachy keen? And then what would they do? They would get used to it and they'd start drifting. Okay? And so it's a, it's a pattern of the Jews and it's also a pattern of 
uh, human nature. Okay, so I ask myself this question, do people turn to Christ just for personal gain and benefit? Do, do people ever make a profession just because I'm going to get something out of it? Okay, do people turn from Christ when all of a sudden loss of income, loss of health, challenges? Do people stop believing? Yeah, yeah. Do we ever see that in family, friends, culture? Okay, same thing that happens. Do people today follow Christianity as long as life is going along well? Okay, and then do people get upset with Christianity when life gets hard? Okay, so it, it gives us a little bit of insight into human nature, that this is this something. And we're talking about people as a whole, but let's bring it back home. What do we need to take out of it? We need to make sure we're following Christ all the time. And when it's a good thing, when we hit the rough roads. Okay, we got to be a Job, that we're following Christ at all times. Is that easy? No, not at all. Okay, there's another reason. Many stopped following Christ because they were trusting more in themselves than in Jesus. Good thing people don't do this today. Okay. Okay, now we're into that area of what do we put our faith in. This message is a huge message about real faith. It is an amazing message when you read it and put it in context. And you can read it. I'm just going to skim over it, but you read on. What shall we do? Here's where they're at. They ask this question, what do we do that we might work the works of God? The emphasis is upon us. What do we do? Okay? Which, hey, I, I don't know about you. I grew up in a religion that was all about what we do. What, what works we have to do. Not, not just faith, but works was a really big part of it. So probably they took when Jesus says stop laboring for da-da-da-da-da-da, but rather what you should be focusing on is the spiritual, uh, you know, which doesn't perish, that they took it, okay, we need to do something, and Jesus corrects them right away. If you notice these verses right in a row, Jesus makes this comment to them where he says, this is the work of God that I told you you should be focused on. This is the work of God that you... What? Verse 29. You believe. This is the work. This is the, this is the extent of it. You believe on him that God has sent. And so what happens in this whole passage, and uh, this is just to add some details that you can study on your own. This passage, this message is a big message on faith. And understand why. The majority of people who are there are coming for just getting. And Jesus is going to say, you gotta, you got to have faith. Not just follow because of filling your pockets. you got to have faith. you got to believe on me. And he's going to explain belief. And he makes several statements here that people, they have to have belief, but this belief is part of the work of God in their hearts. And if you harden your heart against God, you become more bitter. You become like a Pharaoh. You become like the Pharisees that you don't listen. But God is drawing them. He says it in John chapter 12 that if I be lifted up, God will draw all men. Now who is he, how is he drawing people through the Spirit? And so there's got to be the Spirit bringing conviction. We don't get saved, folk. We don't get saved in and of ourselves just, ooh, it's the Spirit that starts convicting our hearts, yes? Okay, so it's a working of the Spirit. It's a working of God's, God's abilities here to, to draw him, us to him. And so he says it's impossible, you know, unless God's working in your heart. You've got to be soft-hearted. God, he says something else. He says that even though God is working in the hearts, 
you've got a responsibility. You've got to respond. God doesn't force people to believe. He calls them, he woos them, but they have to, they have to accept. Okay, interesting the phrases that he uses here. He uses believe, he uses eat me, which some people confuse and think it's communion. He uses a phrase, come to me. Okay, that these are, these are terms that cause people lots of confusion. But if we were to compare the verses and lay them out, for instance, let me lay out two of the verses that use the, the terms interchangeably. We got one verse that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have eternal life and I will raise him up. He says, whoso eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. The first part of the, of the verses, he's using two different phrases but talking about the same concept. Whether you use the term see and believe or eat my flesh, it's the same thing. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. Okay. Do you need to be born again? Do you need to be converted? Do you need to be redeemed? Do you need to be saved? Are those four different things? There are different phrases to explain the similar process, right? Yes, no? Okay, that's what he's doing in this message. He's doing that same thing where he's saying, take, you know, and, and we, you need to accept Christ into your body. Is that a legitimate statement? Yes, no? Yes. But, and he uses that statement in a, after a meal time, and so it makes sense. He's using that. You need to ingest me, take me into your life. And so he uses the phrase, eat my flesh. You need to drink my blood. And he's talking about being born again. He's talking about believing. He's talking about accepting Christ, whatever terms we want to use. And, you know, just he's using multiple different phrases. What stands out in the verse is this, it's available to anyone. Notice the same things, different words, but they're available to anyone. Yes? Where he says, everyone, whoso. What else do you see? They both result in eternal life. They're not something different, they're the same thing. Open to anyone, results in eternal life. Did you catch this? The result is you're going to be resurrected. Either way, whatever it is, it's, it's all about accepting Christ. And so what he's doing in this message is he's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to talk about something that will guarantee eternal life. It's going to be there. It's going to be guaranteed. And he says it several times. I got about one minute. And then he says it's going to end up in the resurrection of your bodies, which is really critical to Jewish thinking. I want you to catch something, okay? Just, just look up here for a second. By faith, and we've given you lots of verses that mention it. Yeah, God's got to be working. We give you several verses that mention it. It requires you to respond. Believe, come to him, receive. Lots of verses indicating he said this a lot in the message. It culminates with the resurrection. He mentioned it several times. It gives you the guarantee, eternal guarantee. He says it several times. Do you notice anything about his message? Does anything strike you? He said the same thought over, over, over again. Why? It's important. It's how they learn. They got to get it. They got to get it, right? So it's important. This is how we learn. And repetition 
in this message about what is real salvation was critical to this audience. Is it important that we repeat this spiritual truth time and time and time again for people to get it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Let's pick up more on how he did this next week. Thank you so much for your input.